Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. You may be saying, that isn't Jeff Bloomfield's voice, and you would be correct. I'm Dan Doherty, partner with Jeff at Brain Trust, and today we're fortunate to have Jeff on the other side of the mic. So, Jeff, good afternoon, and welcome to your podcast. Wow, this is a bit weird. I, I'm not sure what to do with myself on this side. I'm usually the one hosting this, but now I'm the one under the heat lamp getting interviewed. So I'm excited to be on this podcast today, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, you're welcome. You know, Jeff, one of the things that we're fortunate to have at Brain Trust is we hear amazing stories from people that they come onto this podcast and they talk, they tell us about their stories. They tell us about how change has influenced their life. And I'm really fortunate that, that you're with us. You know, prior to the call, you and I were discussing uh, your, new, your new book, Neuroselling. And, and one of the things that, you know, before we get into that, I really would love for the listeners that don't know you that well, for you to take a minute and tell people about your story. You know, what is it about Jeff Bloomfield that's led you to this point? And who, is some of the, who are some of those influences in your story? Yeah, and I think you know a lot of folks have heard you know my Papaw story and, and things about me, but I I do think it's important because I believe that every one of our listeners out there has a story, and though you might not think your story is relevant, it is. Um, everything from the time you were young to the where you are today, those events have happened for a purpose and for a reason, and it it informs really the impact that you can make on the world around you. Now, you don't realize it sometimes. Until you're, you know, until you've arrived at a destination, till you look back on the trip, and think about how you got there, and start to realize that you you wouldn't have got there any other way, but in our case, some divine intervention. And for me, growing up on a farm in in the middle of Ohio, that my papa bought with his life savings uh, was not something that, you know, you you really think much about when you're growing up. And you know, papa worked in the steel mill as a maintenance supervisor in the third shift. And then he farmed during the day and I just grew up under his wing. And he taught me how to drive when I was five, standing between his knees on our old green John Deere tractor. And he, you know, he used to teach me things about hard work and perseverance and never giving up. And again, you don't realize you're learning these things, but you, you, you start to look back on your life and realize the influence those people had on you. He taught me this concept of problem solvers rule the world. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so when something broke, you know, we couldn't just call a maintenance repairman to come out and fix it. We had to figure out a way to, to fix it ourselves. And, and Papa was just a, a big believer that with enough creativity and ingenuity, and, and maybe in our case, a little bit of duct tape, you could solve about any problem. The other thing I learned from him growing up was just how to treat people. Um, you know, he was a big believer in what I call today, the platinum rule, treat other people better than they expect to be treated. And sometimes that means, you know, giving them the coat off your back in the middle of an estate sale in, in, in winter. Uh, which I saw him do one time. Other times it means returning old man Krause's truck down the road when it was on empty when you borrowed it full of gas. Just little ways to treat other people, almost surprise and delight in the world of customer service today that I learned from Papa. And and as I grew up thinking about, you know, what it's like to live on a farm, I always thought I was going to grow up and one day run that farm. Uh, well, you know, February 2nd, 1982 was a big change, uh, a big pivotal changing event for me is I got off the school bus on that snowy day and headed down the 50-yard long driveway to see Papaw 
when normally it was just his green Chevy Silverado in the end of the driveway. But on February 2nd, 1982, it was full of cars. And we all have those moments. And you can you can probably see the ones in your mind where you can visualize a, a really emotional, impactful time in your life. And that's exactly what this day was for me because an ambulance came down that driveway shortly after I did. And what I didn't know was my papa had stage four lung cancer. And when they took him out on the stretcher from the house that day would be the last day I ever saw him. I was a wreck. I was devastated. He was my mentor. He was my sage. Um, you know, he taught me so many amazing things at the time that I didn't realize I was learning. But more than anything, he wanted me to be the first person in our family to go to college. And so that's another thing I wanted to distress to the audience today is the decisions you make in the moment determine the options you have in the future. And they also determine the options that, you know, the next generation uh, has. And I, I still get choked up. Think you're just just thinking about sometimes a single decision uh, can change the trajectory of your life, but it changes the trajectory of the lives of people for future generations. And uh, that to me is really emblematic of what I hope to do in my life is I hope that I've made decisions in the moment that my kids and grandkids will one day look back on and go, Hey, you know, Papa Bloomfield, you know, the Jeff, the Jeff version, um, he did X, Y, and Z. He started a business. Nobody in our, in our family had ever started a business and he took a risk because he wanted to change people's lives. Um, I hope one day that, that I'm worthy enough to have a, a grandchild or a, a child uh, consider me a sage. And so that's, that's the story. And we'll, we can unpack it more, but, you know, that's, that's my why. Well, you know, thank, first of all, Jeff, thank you for sharing that. And for those of you that know you, uh, fully appreciate and understand that that story is 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 who you are and that foundation that you have set there into this business and the people that you have come in contact with. I I think what sometimes we struggle with something you just said there about taking risks and having the courage to take risks. And so when your journey starts to go onto a path that maybe doesn't feel as comfortable for you or isn't maybe what you would have expected that path to be. How do you encourage our listeners and people out there to, to, to dig into that purpose and dig into that passion? But then when you get at that moment where you see that sign that, you know, that that journey, that path taking you a different direction, you know, how did you wrestle with you and your family and in, in, in making and taking that taking that big risk? Yeah, I think that some people take risks on purpose and other people take them accident, <laughs> accidentally. And, you know, for me, I spent my corporate career in biotech. And I, I, I kind of grew up in the, in the world of corporate America and it rose through the ranks from, from being a salesperson to being a sales leader, uh, to being a, a person in charge of helping launch teams for large project, you know, products. And, um, I was a grinder. I worked my, I worked my butt off. And, um, what happened to me was I lost sight of my purpose in the pursuit of what would look to be like everything anyone ever dreamed about the corporate, you know, corporate America pursued up the ladder. And I tell people it looked, it looked like this. Uh, I was going up one ladder and my wife and kids were going up another ladder. And I realized one day that we were going to end up on different rooftops. And uh, my wife realized that <laughs> as well. And, and we just really had a moment, a really, really pivotal moment in our marriage where I had accomplished nearly everything I, I thought I'd ever, more than I'd ever thought I could accomplish in corporate America, but I was losing my purpose. And my wife knew that. I knew that. And we really had to take stock and go, what are we doing here? What am I doing here? 
uh, am I, I'm telling people how to be good leaders and, and husbands and fathers, and I'm not doing it. And so for me, it was almost a, there was a divine moment, divine intervention there where I felt really called to say, Hey, if you want to, if you want to live out your purpose, you've got to, you're going to have to take a different direction. It's time to get on the off, take the off ramp off the super highway of corporate America and go do something more meaningful. If you want to save your marriage, you want to save your family and you want to do something meaningful, it's time to go in a different direction, take a different path. Now for me, that was, you might think, well, that was, oh boy, you, you know, you kind of did it out of, out of reaction, but no, I think everyone's journey is different. And for me, it was the realization that, you know, I tried everything that the quote unquote corporate world had to offer. Uh, and I learned a lot and I would never trade that journey for what I learned. Um, because it put me in an experiential path to be able to take what I'd learned, coupled with growing up on the farm, being around storytellers and storytelling papaw, and putting all that to, to work in a way that was more meaningful for other people. If I were to be honest, Dan, you know, I was in pursuit of my own glory for a long time. You know, how, how could I achieve? How much more could I achieve at the expense of everyone around me? And I know many of us have probably out there listening might be on that hamster wheel right now. And I'm not saying that you should go start your own company tomorrow. Um, but I'm saying is, is that you really got to, you got to find your true north and, and, and get reoriented back on uh, why you do what you do, wh- why you were put on this earth, what skills, talents, and unique um, design that you have that can add value to other people. Then go find a way to, to live that out in a meaningful, purposeful way. Yeah, that's powerful, Jeff. One time I, I was, I either read or somebody had shared with me that and I think a lot of us out there might have this, have this philosophy is that um, we so often at times want to climb the ladder. Whatever that ladder of success looks like for you, it doesn't always lead to significance. And not only that, but if you get to the top of the ladder and that ladder is leaning against the wrong wall, um, you find yourself at times in a, in a potentially pretty empty space. You know, and, and when I first met you a year and a half ago, so for those of you that don't know, you know, I've been a partner with Jeff for the past year and a half or two years. And, and as I've had the opportunity to work alongside of you and work with amazing people inside of amazing companies, and you can see some of that change happen when we as human beings don't like change. You know, you share a little bit in your story and you just alluded to it a second ago about storytelling. Yeah. You know, and I, when I first met you, I had the opportunity to read your first book, Story-Based Selling. and I'm like, wow, there's so many principles in here that are so powerful for, for people. So can you give some of our listeners a little bit of those insights as to when did you kind of uncover that you were given this gift, this, this superpower, if you will, about storytelling and, and where that comes from and how you've been able to take that and your passion for leading other people to, you know, unpacking that, that gift for themselves? Yeah. And unfortunately, storytelling, the concept of storytelling has almost become cliched and in today's world, uh, hasn't, be, hasn't become less impactful, just a little bit more cliched. But for me, you know, growing up around storytellers, uh, being on the farm and, and, you know, listening to my papa and my dad and my uncles tell their fishing tales. And uh, what I learned pretty quickly was when people told stories, other people listen. Yet when people didn't tell stories, people tend to get bored pretty quick. <laughs> now, growing up, you don't realize just how profound that is, but that's true with life, right? So then now fast forward into biotech and, and working in the field of oncology, where I learned biology really quickly, and then especially the biology of the buying brain and really how the brain is wired from a neuroscience standpoint in order to make decisions. And I started to look at how the culmination of my upbringing and my experiences it was now being validated with actual science in 
But the epiphany was not many people I knew really understood this. The people who understood the science piece were the academicians. They were the professors or the researchers. And the people that understood the storytelling tended to be the people who were really good storytellers in sales or marketing or leadership. And they just happened to be, you know, somebody who was around storytelling their whole life and became decent at it. But no one had really taken those two worlds and mushed them together. And so what happened was, you know, you had salespeople running around out there with leaders telling them they should be better storytellers, but they didn't know how to do it. And then you had academicians running around on podiums giving keynote addresses to other academicians telling them the science of decision making and nobody cared. (laughs) And so I had this epiphany. I thought, wow, what if we were able to take the art of storytelling, the principles behind effective communication, but then ground it in the science in a really simple way so that everyone can understand it so that they have a reason to change? See, the reason I think so many people don't change the way they communicate is because they think they communicate at least well enough. And they've, they communicate the way everyone around them is communicated and the way they were trained to communicate. Well, unfortunately, most of the way most of us have, communicate today is actually counterproductive to how the brain is wired to change or to build trust. So by taking the science and under, really undergirding the principles behind the science into the storytelling or the, communicating, the communication approach, what's happened has been magical. Because now you, it doesn't matter whether you're, you think you're an analytical engineer or whether you're some big emotion driven storyteller, it's the same science, but then how you communicate it in a way that actually drives impact and influence and purpose uh, is, is now being put together in a unique way. And that's really kind of what gets me super excited because I know that I started out 11 years ago with that knowledge. I think it evolved in the first few years of, wow, no one's doing things this way and no one has the no one to my knowledge had taken those two worlds and and crashed them together and then sorted them out in a way that everybody could apply. So you and I have the opportunity to work with hundreds and and actually thousands of people in industry. And I had somebody recently ask me a question that I found quite insightful. And I want to ask your opinion on this. And the question was, how do I become a great storyteller? So, and, and that question just kind of came to my mind based on what you were just saying, because I do think out there, there are, you cannot go to the bookstore now and not see something about the brain and the evolving science and, or something about storytelling. And, and you and I talk a lot about in the business about how important it is to have a customer conversation that drives change, it actually takes action to get somebody somewhere. So when some, when, when I got asked that question the other day, I kind of had to pause and step back and I. I'd like our listeners to hear your thoughts when somebody says, I want to be a great storyteller, Jeff. I can see the value in it. How do I get there? The first thing you have to understand when it comes to storytelling and being effective, being an effective communicator. And I always start there. Is how do you be an effective communicator to communicate in a way that drives change, that, that creates influence? Because that's what we're all designed for, right? We're designed to influence each other. The question is, are you going to do it positively or negatively? Um, and when it comes to storytelling, in fact, I was talking to someone who works at an agency recently, fairly high up person, and and they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we we uh, you know we're a big proponent of storytelling. It's it's in, it's integrated in everything we do." And I said, "Well, why are you a big proponent?" He didn't really exactly know what we did. I said, "Why are you a big proponent of storytelling?" And he said, "Well, storytelling is in fact the most effective way to communicate." I said, "Well, why is it the most effective way to communicate?" And he goes, "Well, it's because you know it keeps people interested." I said, "But why does it keep people interested?" I just kept asking him, and the answer was he didn't know. And for most of us out there, like, oh yeah, storytelling works because it's. I've been told it works and I 
I myself, I tend to like storytelling. Uh, I, I like people who tell me stories. I watch movies. I read books. I like stories. Therefore, it must work. But going back to the science behind it, why does it work? Well, it works because our brains are conditioned biologically to attach emotion and visualization to attention. And then we can start to project outcomes. And we, we see in pictures. Right, we do. We visualize everything. We see in pictures, and great storytellers understand that that emotion and visualization uh, drives someone to a place where they begin to own the story themselves and, and immerse themselves in the story. So, so that's the practical application, if you will. Now, how to become one? Here's the key. You have to know one really important concept. You ready for it? I'm ready. The story's not about you. We a lot of times falsely start to tell stories because of self-preservation orientation, we want the story to be about us. I'm going to tell you a story so that you think more highly of me or so that you buy from me or so you listen to me. When a great storyteller recognizes in an instant that if I'm about to tell a story, it has to be about you. And then I can narrate an arc that reaches deep into your limbic system, as we say, and, and, and grabs the emotion that will be relevant to you based on what I know to be true about what you care about. And then visualize around the things that will make you see things through a different lens. Own the story yourself because then some of our cognitive biases kick in, like choice supportive bias, and you own the story. And then you want to change. You want to choose to do something different as a result of the story. And I think that's where great speakers, uh, whether you're a platform speaker or a politician or a leader, the ones that are really interesting. They tell great stories that are about the audience, not about themselves. Now, people might, who are novices might watch them and think they're telling a story about their background. When I tell my Papal story, it really isn't about me. It's about you. It's about helping you see who had that kind of influence on you. Uh, my wife and I just uh, watched uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood the other night. And um, you know, what a fascinating life story uh, Fred Rogers had. And and of course, I went straight to Google and, and, uh, and watched his acceptance speech back in 1998 for his Humanitarian of the Year Award. And, and as part of his acceptance speech, if you've not seen it yet, I encourage you to go Google it. He asked the audience for one minute just to stop and pause and take one minute, and he's going to time them. And he wanted you to think about and imagine who in your life uh, got you to where you were today, who had the best influence on your life and taught you your values, your beliefs, and helped you get to where you were today. And, and it, the, the, the camera panned back to the audience and people, uh, Hollywood, you know, starstruck Hollywood people were in, just in tears. In 60 seconds, people just reflecting back. So my point on it is stories cause you to emote about things that are meaningful to you. And then if I can then get those things that are meaningful to you to help see why if you did something different, it will continue to help you, you'll change. Like you'll, you'll do something different. So that's the power of stories. So here's what I'm fascinated by, Jeff, is that when you wrote your first book a few years back and you titled it Story-Based Selling, and now listening to you just tell that story, and now this book is titled Neuroselling, here's, here's one of the things I found fascinating in the book is that you bring your family a little bit into this story this yeah, time yeah. into neuroselling. Um, you combine that with neuroscience and you combine that with a roadmap for people, not just salespeople, even though it's called neuroselling, but anybody that's in the business of having a conversation that drives change. 
So as you were kind of thinking about this book for this chapter of your story, what was it that kind of helped you put those ingredients into the story that led out to this book called Neuroselling? Yeah, I think for uh, you know for us as a as a business at Brain Trust, what it, what had happened was inevitably you know we had created the programs already to teach this, right? To teach the science of decision making and then put it in a practical roadmap to allow people to learn how to be effective, you know, if you will, business storytellers. But what what I really wanted to accomplish with this was kind of our platform book was to put everything in one place, where it said, hey, here's the here's the the theory, here's the science. Here's the neuroscience. Here's the psychology and the physiology. And oh, and by the way, you know, here's a roadmap. And and so the book is laid out in that way. It's laid out in a way that allows people to, in a story based way, so you don't want to poke pencils in your eyes while you're reading it. Uh, learn the science in the first part of the book, and and then take it from the lab to the field, and then take it in, and really put a roadmap together that it will allow you to build the right kinds of stories and deliver them in the right order. And so for our clients that have worked with us for years, they, they'll read this book and go, oh, we're, we're, we've been, this is awesome. This is, we've done this for years with, with the brain trust folks. But for a lot of other folks, they've not been exposed to this before. And so really wanted to put it all in one place. And that was the, I want to say it's the culmination of, of, of my life's work, but in some ways in the business world, it is. So you read, we read, and a lot of us that are probably listening to this podcast have read all kinds of books through the years about selling. What do you say to the person that's listening to this podcast that says, I'm not a salesperson, so why, why, should I, why should I spend my time to dig into this type of resource when I'm not a salesperson? What do you say to that person? Um, I would say, and a few people will disagree with me on this, but they're wrong, and uh, everyone's a salesperson. And in life, the world is, we are all salespeople. And, and I know people hate that term. It makes them feel icky. And now part of the listeners want to go take a shower just for the fact that they just heard themselves called a salesperson. Um, I think it's because sales has such a negative connotation because historically it means um, I'm going to figure out a way to trick you into buying something you don't need or want and take advantage of you and make money off of it. Well, of course that sounds slimy and gross and disgusting. Um, but the idea of sales is really nothing more than influencing someone in a positive way. And the way that I want to think about sales and I want others to think about sales is forget about sales. It's not about selling. It's about serving other people by helping solve their problems. And when you think about that, what, what's the difference between a sales? If that, if that is now the new definition of sales, which it is in my book, what's the difference between that and a counselor? What's the difference between that and a teacher, a pastor? right? A coach. It's I'm helping serve you by solving your problems. Now just insert, I'm a marketing professional. I'm a sales professional. I'm a, I'm a leader in an organization. So now all of those roles have one thing in common. Everyone has to communicate and everyone has to communicate in a way that helps influence someone in a positive direction in their life. And so if you're going to do that, why not do it in a way that's grounded in science? Why not understand how people are wired biologically, so that you can communicate in a way that, that actually drives impact and brings you closer to your own purpose. Because all of us get I, get, I get fired up when I see after a keynote or after a session with a client, and I see an individual have the light bulb go on, and, and they start to recognize their divine spark, and that they're wired to change the world in some unique way. Sometimes it's a big way. Sometimes it's a little way, but it's a way. 
and they start to see that they have value and purpose. And I, and they start to take the principles that we teach and use them to communicate their purpose. Oh, dude, I, I still get choked up when I see it. I, I go home and I, and I, I just get fired up when I see people walking into their purpose. And for me, my lane is, I, I know my purpose is to help people communicate from a place of more power and more purpose and more impact. Okay, so let's, let's go with that. So if you, if you say power, purpose, uh, impact, this is going to drive performance. I joke with you a lot that you, use, a, you use the letter P more than anybody that, I ever, that I've ever met in my entire life. But it's practical. Okay, so let's add see, it. See what I did there? Yeah, I did. So let's, <laughs> let's keep playing then. Let's add another one because I'm going to jump on a soapbox on the letter P that I want you to, I want you to talk to our listeners a little bit about as we kind of work to kind of bring this, bring this all together here. 25 years, you and I have both worked in pharmaceuticals, biotech. We both worked with small sales organizations, large sales organizations. We've worked with people, as you define in customer conversations, outside of the sales environment. So I'll buy your definition. Here's my problem that I want you to talk to us a little bit about. Pontificate? You mean to pontificate? No, not, no. Oh, okay. Not yet. Practice. Practice. Practice? Yeah, and let me tell you why. (laughs) Somebody out there might pick up this book. Our clients might pick up more copies of this book and they're going to read it. And you and I go in and work with people all the time. And one of the things that always bothered me, Jeff, through the years is the fact that it takes practice in order to master anything. I don't care whether you're playing an instrument, playing a sport, it takes practice. And I, am, I just fully believe that we are so trained from a young age that we forget to practice because we're afraid to fail. And we're afraid to experiment because we're afraid to fail. And it's just drilled into us, this, this, this fear of failure. So we just go back to status quo and stay the same. What do you say to somebody out there that picks up your book or hears you speak or goes to one of our training sessions and when you come to this concept of practice? Yeah, and I, and I think everyone knows intuitively that it makes sense that we should practice. And when I say we, I don't care what your profession is. Um, you know, I, it seems to me like the more that's at risk, when you think about different professional roles in the world, the more that's at risk, it seems like the more that that practitioner practices. Uh, do you think that a surgeon doesn't go and get retrained and recertified and practice? Do you think a lawyer who's cross-examining some of the highest murder cases in the world doesn't practice with a, with a jury that comes in? Fill in the blank. Everyone that has a risk, you know, that there's a, something significantly at risk if they don't get it right, they, they tend to practice. But as sales professionals specifically here, um, I find it really strange that most sales professionals resist the urge to practice. Yet most of the people I grew, you know, grew up playing sports, they practiced their tails off. Most of them went to theater and they practiced their tails off. Like they, they, they have lots of life experiences where they've had to practice to be proficient at something, let alone great at it. Yet salespeople tend to just go in and show up and throw up um, or, or they just want to wing it. And I think it's either, a, it's either in some cases, uh, there's, some, there's too much bravado where they think they're better than they are and they can just show up and be effective. And on the other end of the spectrum, what you mentioned was there's such a fear of failure that it kind of drives them back into their, their safety box and they get mired into this really mired into mediocrity. And, you know, the sales world today is probably, you know, 80% of it is people who are really mired in mediocrity when they're destined for greatness. They have so much potential to be great. 
Um, but because their mindset is one of selling. And so then they get all like, I don't want to be considered a salesperson. So I don't really want to, if I, if I practice something slimy, I'll get better at being slimy. So I don't want to practice, right? I'm serious. Mm -hmm. And so they just think about that, that they don't like to even be in sales, but they got stuck in sales because they couldn't do X. They flunked out of medical school. So now they're selling medical devices, whatever the case might be. But this idea of practice, it, it, it's, it's maddening to me because um, I've never met anyone who was excellent at something who didn't put the time in when no one else was watching. I, I have yet to met, meet that person. Um, and I, you know, you know, I speak a lot, you speak a lot and I still, I, I'm, I'm getting on a plane in the morning. I'm going to speak and I will run through my, my talk that I've given. I don't know this one, probably a thousand times uh, over the course of the last five years. And I'll, and I'll run through it 15 times between the time I get off the plane and the time I walk on the stage. Uh, not because I need to, because of the content, but because I know that I can find one more thing that I can communicate just a little bit better. So I want people to pick up what you just did there. And because I picked up that you went with three Ps again. <laughs> so I got the fact that the practice leads to proficiency and the proficiency leads to performance. But I hope people wrote that down. I hope they, they, they stop, pull over and write that down. And the fact that even great communicators practice, I think sometimes we miss that, yeah. that it's just not going to natural, just because you have some innate gifts and skills that have been given to you. Great communicators use that to become proficient. That takes them from wherever they are today to that next level. And my, my sense in reading, reading the book and working with you day in and day out is that you have a real passion for helping people get to the next level, whatever that level is. And we shouldn't be predefined by what other people say our levels are. You know, we have to find our own journey, our own path, our own purpose to get there. So I want to kind of close with this. Um, when you look back 10, 20 years from now, you started the company, the company's a little bit more than 10 years old now, and your kids are looking back on, on their dad. What do you want? How do you want your legacy to be, to be written? Sometimes you challenge people to say, tell me what you want. What do you, what do you want that eulogy to sound yeah, like? You, you know, tombstone, right? yeah. What do you want your tombstone? What, what's, uh, what do you want that to be? What do you want people to know about Jeff that they didn't know about Jeff before coming on this, this episode of this podcast? Yeah, I think, um, I, I think first and foremost, and this is a challenging one. I, I, I simply hope that I've, I've lived my life in such a way that my children and grandchildren could, doesn't mean they will but could use me as a sage in their story. I'm done. If, if I've accomplished only that, I will have, I think, proven that my, my purpose was focused in the right direction. Now, beyond that, I would, I would love it if some of the things that we've taught other people, that someone could point back and say, hey, you know, when I cross paths with that guy and that company, it changed my life. And, and yeah, they're a sales and marketing consultancy, but what they taught me, it, it took me so much further beyond my success as a sales and marketing professional or as a leader. It helped me think differently about my place on this planet so that I could be a more impactful communicator. That's what I really want. I want people to, to fulfill their purpose because everyone's got that divine spark. And most of us live mired in that fear um, of failure, to your point. And we live in our safety boxes. And so to, to be known as the husband and the father that cared and was there and was present, um, but then also someone who had a vision for seeing every individual uh, find that spark 
and, and communicate to the maximum influence that, that God's given them. That's it. Well, I can tell you as a, as a friend and as a business partner, uh, I'm thankful to be on that path with you for helping people try to find their purpose. So um, I appreciate you today being on the other side of the mic. I appreciate for once you giving me the mic. So <laughs> thank you for that. So let's real quick as we close up, direct people that are out there that don't know us that well. Where can they find more information about the company, about you, about the book? Where should we direct them? Yeah, the book, uh, you'll find it on all three versions right now on Amazon, the hardcover, the paperback, and the ebook on Amazon. Just Google Neuroselling or, or my name, Jeff Bloomfield. Uh, you can go to the website. Our company website's braintrustgrowth.com um, or my speaking site, which is just jeffbloomfield.com. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, Dan, this is not a hard read. It'll be a challenging read for some people, but I think it'll be a, a fun read uh, based on the, so far, the early feedback that we're getting. So those are the places that I would point people to. All right, Jeff. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being here. And we'll catch everybody next time on the Driving Change Podcast. Thanks, Dan. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.